This is the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 15, The Chelsea Flower Show and Gardening Jobs and Plants of Interest for June. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the best out of your garden with our regular features such as our plant of the month, jobs to do in the garden and plants of note for this time of year. I'm Richard Farrer. And I'm George Munford. Coming up in this episode, we have some interviews that we did from the Chelsea Flower Show this year with John Everest, Blethyn Wynne-Jones, who's a plant collector, Malcolm Dixon, who we've spoken to before on the podcast, and the renowned Alan Titchmarsh. Our plant of the month for June is Lupinus the Governor, a lupin. We have jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden. We have plants of note, which is uh, hucarella, sweet tea, sometimes called coral bells, and an aconitum, a monk's head plant, aconitum stainless steel. We've also got the forthcoming garden and flower shows for June. So, George, June, at least we've got some good weather at long last. Yes, we have had some heavy thundery rain, haven't we? So it's perfect growing conditions for the plants because the soil is very wet and we're experiencing temperatures in the 20s, so it's perfect for all types of plants to grow, really. For the UK, that's almost tropical, isn't it? 20, 25 degrees, it is tropical, yeah. isn't it? I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I can't think in old money, but... I think we've you're moved in the on. 70s, aren't you? Yeah. 20, 21 degrees to me is really nice. And I think, like you say... The flowers are all bursting up, but the downside of that, are so are the weeds. Yes, they're absolutely prolific at this time of year, and you just have to prioritise and pull out the biggest. <laughs> and I suppose the ones that are closest to going to seed, you want to get rid of those first, don't you? Because if they do go to seed and start spreading, it's going to make your job harder next year. That's right. You don't want um, a one weed plant can produce potentially hundreds of offspring. So if you can catch them before they flower and set the seed... That's great. Advisable, definitely advisable. Well, in previous episodes of our podcast, we've done a feature called Perfect Pairing, two plants that go well together. We always have our plant of the month and we have two other plants of note. Now, this month we've dropped the two plants for the Perfect Pairing, partly because we've got quite a few interviews coming up from the Chelsea Flower Show and we thought we wouldn't have time to do everything. Now, we've had so many interviews from the Chelsea Flower Show, we are going to split and have another four of the interviews next month, so something to look forward to. But we've also thought about the flowers, that we are effectively covering five different flowers every month, and maybe that's a little bit too much. I certainly know one of my friends, Joanne, uh, she likes the job section, garden jobs to do particularly, and I'm wondering if maybe the mix... Perhaps we've had a little bit wrong, George, and we've had too many plants, and going down from five to three might be a good idea. I think we have to wait and see what our listeners think, Richard. We are plantadvice.co.uk, so... It's all about the plants. 
it is all about the plants. So let's see what our listening, the feedback from our listeners is. Okay, well, please let us know. You can email us podcast at plantadvice.co.uk and let us know what you think. If you like the perfect pairing feature that George used to do, or whether you feel that five plants are really a bit excessive and three would be fine. Now, in last month's podcast, I spoke to Owen Carroll, one of the gardeners at the Kirkenhof Garden. And since then, the Kirkenhof Gardens have closed for this year. They're the famous bowl gardens in Holland. They're only open for two months of the year. But this year, they surpassed the one million visitors, which I think is a huge target, particularly when it's in two months. You can listen to the interview that I did with Owen on our last month's episode of the podcast at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 14 if you're interested. And next year they're planning a theme on Van Gogh as it's 125 years since he died. So I don't know what they've got planned for that, but I'm sure knowing Kirkenhoff it will be something spectacular. So if you've been thinking about going, it could well be worth considering looking at it for next year. Now, Chelsea. This year it's entered its 101st year. It's into the second century of the Chelsea Flower Show. Lots and lots of different plants, things you wouldn't always consider having in your garden. For example, George, you know your plants. So if I said Anthriscus sylvestris, and I saw a lot of that in the Chelsea Gardens, you'd know what I'm talking about, wouldn't you? Yes, I was probably digging it out as a weed in someone's garden on the same day you were admiring it in a show <laughs> garden, Richard. Because the common name for that is cow parsley, which festoons the roadsides all around the countryside in the UK. Yes, and it's uh, treated as a weed in most gardens, but it's amazing what crops up at Chelsea, isn't it, Richard? But what is the definition of a weed? A weed is a plant growing in the wrong place, isn't it? So if you want it in your garden and you plant it there, then it's not a weed, is it? No, that's right. And every year the fashions change, don't they? Yeah, and it does Uh, look a beautiful plant. When you get up close to it, the plant structure is quite tall and frothy. The white flowers in the middle of a border. I think it's really nice. Yes, and I think tall, airy plants are what people are looking for at the moment. Another example of something that's been very fashionable over the last few years and is of a similar structure to cow's parsley is Verbena bonariensis. Well, that's a common one in gardens, isn't it? Again, very, very tall. It comes up purple flowers on the top. That's right, yeah. And you can almost see through the plant onto the picture beyond. So, yeah makes a kind of statement and it's part of the picture isn't it but perhaps not a major focal point that's right it's all about the feel isn't it of the garden yeah well just goes to show you can break from the mold so if you see a nice plant you think it would look nice in the garden use it i know cosmos for example we use a lot of cosmos in our gardens A beautiful plant, very colourful, but my friend Sue, she hails from South Africa, she says it grows like a weed, or it is a weed in Durban. Yes, absolutely. All depends on what your definition of a weed is. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's no wrong plant. A weed is, as George said, only a plant in the wrong place, and if you like it, it looks good, and it works with your planting scheme, feel free. 
go ahead. Break the boundaries. That's what Chelsea's all about. And talking about breaking boundaries, at the Chelsea Flower Show, I spoke to garden designer John Everest, who designed his garden called Reach Out, which was in the fresh garden category. It was a bit more of a concept garden than a traditional garden. I asked him if he classified his garden as a conceptual garden. I think so, but I've tried to put elements in it that people can actually put into their own garden with the planting and the materials, and they're all accessible materials. So if people want to come up and, you know, rub the time and get the smell off it, I don't mind that. I'm not prissy about it. And the the columns and the stone and the slate at the back, it's a material that you want to touch and, you know, and put your hand on it and, and just get a sense of the garden that way as well. And can you explain your thought process in the garden to us and what it's trying to symbolise? Yeah. I'm trying to symbolise how young people can be helped through horticulture. So I've done a big sculpture at the end. This is a girl who's sort of um, in despair. She's on a building site, leaning against a wall and reaching out for help. And through the journey through the garden actually takes to a better future. So you've got the big stone structures, which are obstacles, getting smoother, less obstacles as you get through as life hopefully improves. It and, is, yeah. And yeah. you've got almost carpet bedding of this lemon variegated thyme, which is a beautiful plant that smells lovely. It is, yeah, you get the beautiful smells, and we've got rosemary domes that also get bigger as you come through the garden. So it's very simple, but they're both healing plants, and it's all, all the water, the thyme and the rosemary are all helping her on her journey. And would you say designing a conceptual garden is harder to do than perhaps a classical garden that we'd see in our own back gardens or other areas at Chelsea? It could be. It's, it's, it's harder to get right, I think, and actually to, uh, what, what you want to do is connect to the public. So you can have a fantastic conceptual garden, but people don't connect with it because it can be a little bit remote. Yeah. I think the key thing about conceptual gardens is you have to understand the message. Yes. And sometimes if the message isn't explained to you or it's not put up on the board, the garden doesn't make any sense at all. But once you've got the message, all of a sudden you think, yeah, okay, I I can see what's going on there. That's it. And I think that's where the the good thing about Chelsea is because of the amount of coverage you get. So visitors coming to the show might have already had They understand what it's about, yeah, very much so. Well, it's brilliant. I hope you do well. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much. So there you go, George, a concept garden. But I think it looked very elegant. Not something you'd put in your own garden, but it does make you stop and think a little bit. How do you feel about the concept gardens? Really, Richard, my interest is in the plants. I'm not really interested in... The garden hard, design as Garden such. design and the hard landscaping. That's not really me. I'm quite happy just walking around a, a nursery, for example, where the focus is literally on the plants. So you're a plantsman at heart then, George? Yes, that's right. Excellent. Well, why not? There's millions of them to choose from, isn't there? <laughs> Another interview that we've got for you, I spoke to Blethyn Wynne-Jones. He is a plant hunter, which is a strange thing nowadays. We often think it's the Victorians which used to do that. But Blethyn and his wife, they get out and about and they've been doing it for an awful long time and have collected over the years over 17,000 different plant species. Absolutely phenomenal. So here's the interview that I did with Blethyn. So hello, Blethyn. Hi. Uh, you haven't got what's a conventional garden here. You've kind of got a showcase of plants that you've collected around the world. Yeah, um, that's what we do. We've been at it for the last, well, over 20 years now. How many different plant species do you think you've collected in your time? I've never gone to the trouble of counting them, sorry. Uh, all I can tell you is that 
we've hit the 17,000 mark 17, of collections. So, yeah, it's an awful lot of plant material to keep track of. Now, I would really struggle going out in the wild to see a plant. I wouldn't know if it's new. How do you know if somebody else hasn't discovered it before or has discovered it? Uh, well, we have an interest in certain plants, so you get a fair idea of whether it's in cultivation or not. Like some of the Hamamelis family that we've been collecting, we've worked out eventually. I mean, you can't work it out there and then. That it's new to science or whatever. And what sort of techniques do you use? Are you just going through catalogues and books and things and looking at it from a visual point of view? Or do you get involved in DNA at all? Um, no, we not personally anyway. Although some of our material has to go to that extent to be identified and classified. No, it's by the, the seed capsules normally that we do it. So that, that's the key board. thing you, you look for. And leaves, if you look at those, it can send you off in a wild goose well, chase. Well, it can help, but your initial identification has got to be the reproductive organs. So you have to wait for the plant to have flowered and then produce yeah, a yeah. seed capsule. Hence, we're seed collecting more. The so you've got plant. something to identify it by and then something yeah. to take home to cultivate it. Yeah. And we you. take press materials so that we can send them away so the scientists can have a proper look at them. So if you're collecting so many new species, yeah. do you get to name them? Yeah, we, we put some inputs in. So have you got a few named after yourself? Not a few, just one. Just one. <laughs> and this one named after my wife as well. There, well, that's a nice legacy to have, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, Sue's got um, a begonia named after her. Yeah. And I've got a Saka Cocker Christmas box. Yeah, they're really fragrant, aren't they? They're lovely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they're one of my favourite genus. We've done a lot of work with them, which is why we collared that one. And any plans for any more trips coming up? Oh, yeah, plenty. So where's your next one? (laughs) Next place I can afford. (laughs) (laughs) It must be an expensive hobby. Do you have any patrons that help you out? Hobby? No, it's not a hobby. We've only been uh, sponsored once. That was through fellow collector Dan Hinckley. We went to Nepal, a trek there. Uh, National Geographic paid for that. Well, let's hope somebody does recognise the work that you and your wife do and contribute a bit and help you continue in your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. We all live in hope. Yes, (laughs) thanks very much. All the best. Being a plantsman then, George, you'd appreciate Blethyn's work more, going out into the wild, finding new species... Yes, so how does he make a living from that? So he finds new species and does he sell them to... He does have a nursery, which is called Krug Farm Nursery. We'll have a link to that in our show notes, which you can get at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 15. But I suppose he collects these, finds the ones which seem to do really well and will do well in our climate and are good quality varieties, and then sell them, I guess. And I suppose any subsequent sales, he can make a living out of sales for the foreseeable future, wherever they're sold. Well, I guess so. If he's collected the seeds, I don't know what rights come with that sort of thing. I know it can't be plant breeder rights because he's not breeding them. But I don't know. That's a jolly good question. Maybe we should get Bleth in on the show sometime and, and ask him. Very interesting. Well, another person we caught up with at the Chelsea Flower Show was our friend Malcolm Dixon. We have talked to Malcolm before in the previous episode of our podcast, and you can listen to our interview that I did with Malcolm in episode 8 of our podcast at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 8. Now, when we spoke to Malcolm in that interview, he alluded to something that he was going to be doing different at Chelsea this year. And he certainly didn't disappoint. This year, he pulled out all the stops. Instead of having a standard stand, well, I say standard, his plant stands are always lovely, beautifully laid out. This time, he went for Chelsea Theatre, a really staged event, featuring 
The Tales of Peter Rabbit from Beatrix Potter. Yeah, so here's the interview that I did with Malcolm at the Chelsea Flower Show this year. Back at Chelsea again, Malcolm. Yes. And last time we talked on the podcast, you alluded to something special this year at Chelsea. And you've not let us down, have you? This is absolutely amazing. The world of Beatrix Potter meets Hook's Green Herbs. That's it. And um, it actually all started back last Chelsea. We had supplied Beatrix Potter and uh, they rang me about an order. And I was on Chelsea uh, here. And I said, look, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll ring you next week. And from that, I wrote to them and said, would you like to come and join us? We had a meeting, and here we are with the world of Beatrix Potter, Peter Rabbit's herb garden, with the um, greenhouse, the slate walls from Cumbria, Mr. McGregor's garden. Each set is a picture from the book. And it really is a set. It's theatrical, isn't it? It's a theatrical horticultural display. How about that? <laughs> Which is perfect in keeping for Chelsea. Most of it is theatrical. That's right, yeah. I mean, when we first came here in 2011, we did a traditional 12-foot round display of herbs which was well appreciated and we had a terrific response we were on television and everything but someone said to us actually Chelsea is theatre and from that we were constantly thinking how and the opportunity came really when we got involved with Beatrix, the world of Beatrix Potter attraction up in Cumbria and um, they've been really good I mean they created all the hard uh, standing in there so they did the walls the um, greenhouse and uh, all that uh, props and they have a props company, so it, it fitted really well. And then we planted all the herbs, and herbs and, and Peter Rabbit go well. And, and how uh, has it been working with somebody else on the stand with yeah, a, that, that's, a theatrical um, set, as opposed to just getting the plants and arranging them in a pretty I mean, audience? You know me, I um, tend to be front of house, and Thomas does all the hard work. So um, when it came to uh, planting and working on the, on the display... I think Thomas found it quite hard working with a designer who had definite ideas of what he wanted to do. Clash of temperaments. And kept putting his fingers in and all that. And Thomas was... And so I had to sort of mediate. Well, I think it's paid dividends. There might have been a bit of artistic friction, but it certainly doesn't yeah, show. No, it was all it right is. in the end. I mean, yeah, fine. Excellent. It's been great. And it, it's been well appreciated. I mean, obviously, it's done exactly what we wanted in terms of promoting Hook Screen Herd, but also Beatrix Potter, the world of Beatrix Potter. So you've done a theatrical thing this year. Do you think you're going to attempt it again? I don't know what will happen. We'll, we'll think about it, but probably go back to something a little bit more natural. Restrained. We do, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so I said, what about Jemima Puddle Duck, the story? About <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe they've been round and judged already. They have, yeah. They came round this morning, yeah, so we'll have to see what happens. going to hold uh, your breath. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope you, know, you do well. You'll, you'll find that, uh, You've sure. pulled out all the stops this year, yeah, so we it'll did. be yeah. interesting to see what you've got. Been good. Been thank good. you very much, nice Malcolm. Nice to see you. And you. Thank you. Okay. Now, to me, George, Peter Rabbit and Beatrix Potter, that's the quintessential little English herb vegetable garden, isn't it? Yes, as long as they're not real rabbits, of course, because they'd absolutely destroy your herb garden. Well, the size of the rabbit they had in there, that would have monster rabbit. That would have destroyed anybody's garden, yes. Rabbits aren't really a gardener's friend, are they? They're a real pain, Richard, in the garden. You have to choose plants that they really don't like, and there aren't many of them. Really? So they'll go for everything? What about some of the toxic ones? I know the monk's hood that we're going to talk about later. That's a, quite a toxic plant, isn't it? Yes, very toxic. You certainly wouldn't want to eat it. I don't know about rabbits. I think the rabbits wouldn't like it either. And I know uh, you, Taxus Bacata, is also very toxic. Yes, it is. I've noticed in a garden where I work that has wild rabbits in it, 
that they won't eat the leaves of daffodils and they'll but they'll will uh, munch away at the tulips so really yeah that's very interesting okay so if you've got a rabbit problem plant daffodils is that the advice george yeah you that's think? one of the only things you can <laughs> grow without them a wall of daffodils around stop them getting to everything else that would look bizarre wouldn't it the trouble is they're only there for a month or two aren't they yeah yeah it's a shame well, the final interview we've got for this month is from Alan Titchmarsh. Those of you in the UK will know Alan Titchmarsh from the TV programmes he does, and he is quintessentially the face of gardening, I think, in the UK. Alan wasn't doing his usual TV coverage of Chelsea this year. He's done it for 30 years in the past. He's taken a break. But he did do a show garden with Kate Gould. Here's what Alan had to say. So you're back at Chelsea again, Alan, only this time you're at the hard end, This time I'm a gardener, yes. Yes, we've been here for three weeks, or two and a half, making this garden which celebrates 50 years of Britain in bloom and 50 years of my horticultural career. It's great fun, we've had a good time. And I'm sure you've enjoyed every minute of it. I have, it's been great. But it it is a true passion of yours, though, isn't it, gardening? You can't do it if it's not. Well, you can, but it's a chore. But I just love doing it until I've actually been here making a pretty garden. And is it nice to be back designing the garden? Yes. I mean, I do, I do it quite a lot for Love Your Garden on ITV, designing gardens for people, you know, who their garden will make all the difference to their lives. And literally changing lives by gardens, really deserving people. So that keeps my hand in that. And I do about eight of those every year during the summer. And I'm designing bits of my own garden at home the whole time. I know. think everyone is. It's always mm. tweaking and changing mm. our garden. It's not a big garden, but we're always, certainly after coming somewhere like this, you see new plants and new combinations it's never finished no it isn't but that's a good thing isn't it yeah it keeps us going if you thought right that's it you came in one day that's it I've done and tastes change fashions Mm. change over the years well your own do as well you you think I'm tired of that bit or it grows out of itself you know the scale becomes all wrong and you just want to change and you've done it this year with Kate Gould who's a garden designer who's exhibited how did that work working together it worked very well I think probably better than either of us anticipated (laughs) if you put two designs together there's going to be ruction there can be friction Yeah, it can be but there wasn't I mean we both have very similar taste we're both quite exacting in terms of what we want and we've both I think that's people as well we've both had a really good time doing it and do you miss being on the other side of the camera this time? Do you know, I haven't missed it at all. I mean, I've been doing so many interviews. Yeah. Like this one. Well, I know, we've been I know, but I feel as though I'm, I'm, I'm doing it nothing anyway. Nothing changes. No, it's, it's fine. I, you know, things move on and but 30 years is good I, I think that's yeah, a jolly good run by anyone's standards, <laughs> mm, but mm. you kind of are the face of gardening. In well, you're Britain, very nice of you to say so. I'm, very, I'm, I'm, I'm mom, happy to be one of them. My mum, bless her, she passed away, but... She loved watching your programmes. I think, really, to do what you love doing during your life is the greatest gift of all. A job should, yeah, you've got to do a job most of your life, so do something mm. you really oh. enjoy and are passionate Friends about. who do jobs they don't like, yeah. and you think, what a waste of a life. You know, I've Absolutely. just been lucky enough to do exactly what I love doing for 50 years. It's great fun. And you're not getting marked, this garden? No, I don't have to. I'm being judged by everybody who walks past. Yeah, I bet. But not being judged for a medal, which takes the pressure off. I yeah. bet it does. Are you still going to be entered into the People's Award category? We are in the People's Choice, yeah, so okay. it's, uh, we do all right in that. And I hear that is the one that people really want to win. I think if you do a garden that people love, then it's a great perk, Well, that's yeah. what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. Something that you want to have in your own back garden you can I love enjoy, doing yeah. gardens that people want to be in not just look at and say well that's a bit smart isn't it you know now what's your take then on things like the fresh category and the conceptual gardens at Hampton Court well they push the boundaries out and that's good for us to oh I'm not sure about that not. it makes you think more broadly and that has to be good and then we come back again it's like the Paris catwalk seem to bear no relation to what we wear in real life but they have an effect on it and they maybe move it a bit 
And I don't mind innovation. Some of them I like, and if it's a story and you can understand the story mm. and see it, it makes sense to me, I can see mm. that. But then there's other things, like there was one last year, Hampton Court had fridges, a big mound of fridges. Mm. Well, it might have had a message about ecology. And, a bit like the Turner Prize, yeah, really, isn't it? None of us can understand pile it. Pile of bricks or an unmade <laughs> bed. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank yeah. you very much, Alan. You're very welcome. I do appreciate it. And it would be nice if you got the People's Award, wouldn't it? Oh, fingers crossed. After yeah, never years, know. You never know. I'm very grateful. Thank all you right. very much. Thank you, thank you. Good to see you. Thank right. you. And Alan's been gardening for 50 years, George. 50 years in the horticultural industry. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, half a century. Nearly half the amount of time that the Chelsea Flower Show's been there. Yeah, when you think yeah. of it like that. Yeah, Alan's been involved in the industry for that half of that time. And truly passionate about gardening. Yes, it's amazing, isn't it, to see someone thrive in their career like that over such a long period of time. Yeah, and I think he's a gardener first and a TV presenter or even a TV celebrity, one might say now, second. Definitely a gardener first. That is his passion. Yeah, it's lovely to see, isn't it? Yeah, if you can enjoy your job and do it for your whole life. No, let's hope he carries on for another 20 or 30 years as well. Yeah, absolutely. Keep going. I think gardening probably does keep you fit as well. No doubt about that, Richard. Plant of the Month. Now, Plant of the Month, George. This month you've chosen Lupinus the Governor. A Lupin. Yes, Lupin is the governor. This particular Lupin has very striking blue and white flowers during June and July, and they're produced on tall flower spikes. The Latin translation of Lupin comes from the term wolf, a reference to how some of the species often smother and kill weaker plants around them. Now, that I find interesting, because that kind of implies it's quite an invasive plant, or can go a bit rampant. I love lupins. They are, to me, one of the classic sort of English cottage garden plants, but I've really struggled growing them in my soil. Is it, do you think, because it's clay soil and not draining very well? Yes, it's just the soil, Richard. That's all the problem is. So we need to chuck Uh, some grit and sand in and a bit of manure to help break up the soil and improve the drainage. They really want to be growing in very well-drained, sandy soil. They come from a maritime climate, the seaside, that sort of area. So it needs to be a poor soil, really, and and that soil needs to be a good, I would say, at least two feet deep. Very similar to some of the herbs, like rosemary, that likes a poorer type soil. Yes, they're really not going to survive very long in very rich, humus-rich soil. Okay. They really need free draining around the roots. I'll try again. Yeah, I mean, maybe grow them in a pot. We have got one in a pot. But unfortunately, as it started coming up, it got savaged by the slugs. And I don't think the poor thing's really recovered from that. No, you do have to be very careful with how you grow them. And I'm doomed. Uh, I can't grow lupins. Just try a bit harder, Richard. <laughs> I will, I will, because I really want them. I think they'll look lovely in our garden, because it's got a very cottagey garden feel. And I think the lupin is a plant that will work well with that mix. The other thing to mention is that they're a member of the pea and bean family, the leguminaceae. You can tell by the shape of the flowers, can't you, when you look at them? They're very similar to those of the peas. They are, yeah. And the leaves are also interesting. Palmate shaped, so like the shape of your palm of your hand. And they're a hardy perennial, so you, you can grow them in the UK climate. 
They are quite a tall plant as well, and certainly with some of the winds we've got, it's well worth staking them up in spring before the flower spikes appear, isn't it? Yes, that's the thing to do. You need to um, give them as much support as you can with some canes or some proper garden stakes, stop them flopping about. Once they've flowered, if you deadhead them quickly, are you likely to get a second flush of flowers out? Yes, they will produce more flowers if you deadhead them promptly after they've finished, yes. And that's a good trick to do with many flowers anyway, isn't it? You should do that with all flowers, really, that you can, if they're within reach, keep deadheading them and they'll keep producing more flowers. Most plants will do that. If nothing else, because you're removing the unsightly flower and it looks prettier. Yes, that's correct. It's not nice, is it, to see spent flowers not looking their best. No, and I'm sure a lot of us are quite fussy about our gardens. Jobs to do in the garden. Now, jobs to do in the garden for June, George. I'm sure this is a very busy time, as everything is going mad and growing great guns. Yes, jobs to do this month. If we do get rain, save and store it in a water butt. Cut back spring flowering perennials. This encourages new growth and a second flush of flowers. I've often seen this with delphiniums, for example. They've finished flowering, you can cut them back. Irises keep the rhizomes clear of foliage and other plants to allow them to bake in the sun. Ward off slugs and snails, for example. They attack plants like hostas, so you can set beer traps or surround the plants with sharp grit. Don't they just? They love hostas. And my lupins. (laughs) There's shrub pruning to do in June. Any shrubs that have just finished flowering, for example, a carrier? Well, I've got one of those in the garden, George. It's finished flowering, and I think after this podcast, we'll <laughs> be going out to have a look at that carrier. Okay. If you need inspiration in the garden, why not visit some of the open gardens? They're often open under the National Garden Scheme. I think there's a brilliant one. I really enjoy going to see other gardens, lots of stately homes and, and gardens, and you do get to see different planting ideas, different ideas for the architecture of your garden as well. I think that's a really good way of getting inspiration. It is, isn't it? Yes. Having a look around other gardens. And just a nice day out as well. It's a bit like a small version of the Chelsea Flower Show, isn't it? Yeah. Deadheading we've talked about. We should be regular lawn mowing at this time of year. The grass is growing like mad, isn't it, with this weather that we talked about? It is, yeah. Perfect growing conditions, especially for grass. Trim the border edges. You do that before you cut the grass and then you can suck up all the clippings with the lawnmower. That's a very good tip. Make life easy for yourself. Yeah, I always do that. I don't trim the edges after cutting the grass. Regularly spray roses against green fly and black spot. Water and feed containers and hanging baskets regularly. And continue to pinch out the vegetative side shoots on tomatoes, encouraging the development of more flowers and fruits. And you can also feed tomatoes once a week. And that's because the plant is putting extra energy into growing these little side shoots, which is taking its energy away from growing the fruit. Yes, that's correct. Your focus is on wanting the plant to produce more flowers and fruit. And if you're thinking of planting some extra flowers or extra plants in your garden this year, why not also think about planting plants close to your patio or seating area in your garden that also have some fragrance so when you're sitting there having your gin and tonic or your cup of tea whichever takes your fancy not only have you got the beauty of the flowers but you've got a waft of fragrance as well 
Jasmine's a good one, and honeysuckle, aren't they good, George? Yes, and flocks that uh, smell particularly nice in the evening. When the flocks do, do they? Ah, we haven't yeah. got any flocks, but I do like them as a plant. They're very pretty. They're much smaller, I guess, than the jasmine and honeysuckle, which are climbers. Maybe I'll look at putting some flocks around the patio. That's a good idea. Yes, especially if you're sitting out there in the evening. They smell particularly nice, yeah. Excellent. I shall look for some of those. We're going to BBC Gardener's World this week, so I'll see if I can find some there. Very good. In the vegetable garden. Now, in the vegetable garden, what have we got to do for this time of the year, George? You can sow seeds outside of lettuce, beans, French beans, pumpkins, radishes, carrots, swedes, beetroot and spinach. You can plant out young plants that you've started indoors, such as celery, sweet corn, leeks and pumpkins. And there's harvesting to do in June. Rhubarb, French beans, onions, radish, carrots and beetroot can all be harvested this month. That's the good thing about this time of year. The harvest is beginning, isn't it? Yeah, you reap the rewards of your hard work in the vegetable garden. You do indeed, and you can stick them in your salad or your dinner in the evening. And there's no better feeling than having something which has just been picked from the plant and it's straight from plant to pot in a matter of half an hour or so. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, gives you a warm feeling. It's got zero carbon miles. (laughs) Plants of Note Now, plants of note for June, George. The first one we've got is hookerella, sweet tea, coral bells. Now, a hookerella, I believe, is a, and it's a cross between a hookera and a tiarella, which both look fairly similar to me anyway. Yes, yeah, so the cross, if you look at the name of the plant, the cross starts at the front. So that means it's a cross between two genera, which is quite unusual in the plant breeding world doesn't happen very often you often get obviously crosses between two different species of the same genus all right so this Uh, is between the genus not the species yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so it's quite 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 unusual within the horticultural profession it's a lovely plant i love this one it's called sweet tea hookerella sweet tea it's a semi-evergreen hardy perennial and its main feature is its wonderful colored foliage all different a mixture of different reds and oranges. Looks very autumnal, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I really like it. it. It reminds me of a grapefruit and an orange marmalade sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, yes. Those Difficult colours. to describe on an audio podcast, colours. But we will have a link to this plant on our show notes page for this show, which you can get at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 15. So you can have a look and mm. see what the plant actually looks like. But yeah, it's... Like you say, rusty sort of brown, orangey sort of colours, isn't it? Yes, With yes. a slightly redder central colour to and veining to the leaves. Absolutely stunning, I find, this plant, yeah. And then the flower spikes come up, tall flower spikes with lots of tiny little flowers on them, cream-coloured. Yes, in, from about June until right the way through the summer until August. But they're not quite as stunning as the foliage. No, the foliage. And the foliage lasts pretty much all year round, so you've got something of interest all year. And foliage can be as interesting as the flowers, can't it? A very vital part to planting in the garden. To me, the foliage is more important because it's often there for... Longer. At least nine months of the year, so it's more important to me than the flowers to have nice foliage on a plant. And these are good for a partial shady area, which I'm sure a lot of people have got in gardens. 
it's quite unusual for a plant that has interesting foliage for it to be able to cope with a bit of shade. You often get, for example, on Sambucus black beauty, I've experienced this, the black-leaved elder. If you grow it in any sort of shade, the leaves won't be black anymore. They'll revert back to the uh, the green. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that because I think I've just you, bought one. Yeah, you need to grow them in full sun for them to keep that black. Okay, it will have quite a bit of sun, but whether it's going to be full sun, I don't know. Time will tell on that one, the George. More, the more intense black leaves on those particular elders is kept in full sun. Ah, okay. Maybe we should do that plant some month in the future. And our next plant of note for June is Aconitum stainless steel, which is a monk's hood. And this one also likes or will tolerate shade. Yes, it's also a hardy perennial and the term monk's hood refers to the shape of a flower. It looks very much like the hood of a monk, doesn't it? Yeah, the habit pulled over the head, yeah. Although the aconitum, I believe, is derived from the Greek word for dart. That's the Latin name. And it's a reference to how arrows were dipped in its sap because it's quite a toxic plant. Yes, that's very interesting, that, isn't it? I wonder who these people were that were doing that and which country they were from I don't and, know. I and do which lo- era. I do love to find out the derivation of some of the names of a plant. Like Lupin Early, we had yeah. related to the wolf, and Aconitum, Greek for dart. And I think sometimes that does help you to remember the names better when you've got some sort of connection to link it to. Yes, it brings even more interest to the plant name, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, so this one, Aconitum stainless steel, the flowers are a pale metallic, bluey-white sort of colour, or a silvery sort of colour. They do, uh, they really lovely colour, aren't they? Yes. It can grow up to 1.5 metres tall and 30 centimetres spread, best in full sun or partial shade, in a soil that's moist, fertile and well-drained at the same time. As we've mentioned before, it's toxic if eaten, so certainly don't eat it, and it holds the RHS Award of Garden Merit. A good one to look for for most plants. And we do have links for these plants that you can buy online here in the UK via the Crocus website. From our website, takes you through to the Crocus website. And those links will be on our show notes for this episode at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 15. forthcoming garden and flower shows for june there's only really one coming up which is bbc gardeners world live 2014 which is held at the birmingham nec and this goes from the 12th to the 15th of june it's an interesting show it's also held with the bbc good food show i believe so when you go along you get two for the price of one you can see quite a few show gardens all of the same exhibitors that really exhibit in the large marquee at chelsea you'll see in the big halls at nec and you get to choose lots of nice food we always go and get lots of nice cheeses and sausages and things and invariably come back with some plants as well so that's well worth a visit if you can't get down to other flower shows it's kind of in the middle of the country here in the uk at the nec well that's about it for this month george We've covered quite a bit, I think, this month, haven't we? But then June is a busy month. Yes, certainly one of the busiest months in the garden, isn't it, Richard? I think so, yeah. Chelsea's in May, but it takes us a while to edit all the interviews, get them all together, put all the photos up on our website. And we do have a lot of photos that we took at the Chelsea Flower Show, which you can get on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash plantadvice. 
You can also follow us on Twitter, if you like, at Plant Advice. And the show notes, as we've said before, for this episode, you can find at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 15. We'll have links there to everything we talked about, all the different plants, some of the photos from the different shows. And I think that's... I can't think of anything else, George. I'm looking forward to going to the BBC Gardener's World at the end of this week. I'll see if we can get some interviews for that. If not, we've got four interviews for next month, which I did at the Chelsea Flower Show. They are with Hugo Bug, who was a first-time garden designer at Chelsea, and he got a first-time gold. We have Matthew Childs, who's exhibited before at the Hampton Court Garden Show, but it was his first time at Chelsea. Uh, we've got Harry and David Rich, two young lads who did an artisan garden last year, but were on Main Avenue for the first time. And, of course, Cleve West, who is a seasoned professional and regular gold winner at Chelsea. So until then, it's all from us for this episode. Thank you ever so much for listening, and we hope you'll listen again next month. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. This podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.